Uh, I'm so excited for, uh, for today. Uh, I love this series. Uh, the, the story of the local church, right? Uh, and the, the book of Acts. I would love to spend a year and a half teaching through Acts because I, I just, I, I think is, it is something that is just, um, it is encouraging to the local church because everything that happens, uh, in the local church in the first century, um, can, can be, is a, a picture, uh, of what, uh, what we live through in today's day and age, just in a little bit different context, okay? They didn't have iPads and iPhones and they didn't have social media and things, but they did have, have, uh, similar stressors and similar, uh, um, uh, issues that go on. And quite honestly, church, there are just some times that I like to know that, that I'm not the first person to experience these things in my life. Like that, that, that there are others that have gone, that have walked through this, that God has, has sustained and walked with, with others. And if he has sustained and walked with others, he will sustain and walk with us too, even in the lowest points of our life. Right. You know, so um, Acts chapter 18. As we, we look at, at the big idea today that, that togetherness is the antidote to our questions about God. We all have questions about God, right? And if you don't, then you are, then you are clearly on, uh, you know, on, on the other side uh, of glory, right? As long as we're on this side of heaven, I, I'm, I'm always going to want to know why do you drive on a parkway and park on a driveway? Like, I'm always going to know that, right? Can God lift a rock or can God create a rock so big that he can't lift it? Like, I want to know, I want to know these things, all right? I, I want to know what, what Moses felt like when he saw the burning bush, all right? I want to know, I, I want to know what Moses or what, what Noah felt like when, when God tells him to build an ark because it's going to rain. And he's like, what's rain? All right? Like, I, I, I want, I, I want to know there's certain things that, that when I get to heaven, I'm just going to want to know. And then quite, but quite honestly, when we get to where our final resting place is going to be, and we see Jesus and we worship Jesus face to face. We're not going to care. But I'll be honest with you, on this side of heaven, I have questions. And so one of the things that God allows for us within the context of the local church and the community that is derived therein is the ability to study God's word together. And part of that is that we are all gifted in different ways. We're going to dive into that here in just a few minutes together. But we're all gifted in different ways. We can read a passage of scripture, each one of us in the room, and there's a couple hundred of us, right? And so we can, we can, we can all read the same passage of scripture and God can speak to us through his inspired and his inerrant word. He can speak to each of us differently. The application of scripture, while the meaning of scripture stays the same throughout the ages for the rest of time, scripture means what it means in context. But the application, oh man, I could preach a passage 10, 10 different Sundays in a row and I don't know that you would get tired of it because God can speak to us and apply that same passage of, of scripture in different ways each time we read it. We serve a mighty God. We serve an incredible God. Amen. Finally, I'm, I'm so glad that someone's awake. That's good. But togetherness, and Matt, I think it's a word. I really do. I didn't Google it, uh, but, uh, but, but I think it's a word. Doing life together as the people of God displays for us a picture of what heaven is going to look like. So church, get ready for togetherness. Because togetherness, if you think we do life together now, imagine when we get to heaven and we're all together for all of eternity. The story of the book of Acts is the story of the church fulfilling Jesus's mandate. And what was that mandate? In Acts chapter, in Matthew chapter 28, 
In verse 18, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I will be with you always to the end of the age. Church, that is our marching orders. All right? Whether it is whether it is Fort Caroline Baptist Church or North Jacks Baptist Church or First Baptist Church of Middleburg, my home church, or Fruit Cove Baptist where Allie grew up. We, the beauty is, is that, that the evangelical church of Jesus Christ has the same marching orders. That is, is Jesus' mandate for us. And so what we want to be is a church that grows, right? We want to be a church that grows, amen? Amen, amen. that's the right answer. All right, do we want to be... Uh, do we want to be a church that grows so that, that Matt can go to, a, go to an evangelical meeting of executive pastors and say, let me tell you how good a job we're doing at, at Fort Caroline Baptist Church. We baptized 20 people and we're, we're hoping to baptize 50. And you know what? We're better than you. No. Does that happen? Probably. Not with Matt, but probably with, 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 with other executive pastors. The purpose for wanting to grow is church. Let's just talk about, about numerics here for just a moment. If there, are, if there are 400 people sitting in a room studying God's word, that is more than 200 people. And that is 200 additional people that are hearing the gospel. Numbers don't matter, but they matter. Okay, They don't matter so that we can pat ourselves on the back. They matter so that we, can, that we, that we might glorify a great God by fulfilling his mandate. And so Acts chapter 18, we've skipped a little bit ahead uh, from Acts chapter 2 where we were last week. And we're going to look at, at a, a unique passage of Scripture that I've actually never preached before. And so studying it this week has been, has been fun. But church, I want you to understand this. Before we move any further, okay, you want to be a church that's evangelical, right? Yeah. All right. You want to be a church that evangelizes, right? You want to be a church that spreads the gospel, right? You want to be a church that fulfills the Great Commission, right? All right. The best evangelism a church can do is bred out of good discipleship. Let me say it again. The best evangelism a church can do is bred out of good discipleship. When a church disciples its people and someone grows more deeply and falls more and more in love with Jesus every day, you cannot help, as you fall more and more in love with Jesus, you cannot help but want to understand the depth of your, uh, of your sin, but the even greater depth of God's grace, and you want somebody to know that they need Jesus. Your passion for Jesus will grow the more you are discipled. And that's what this passage is about today. So let's read it together. We're going to start in verse 23. It's the end of a section of scripture, but I want us to understand as Paul begins his third missionary journey, all right, he is going to start by reflecting. All right, he's going to go to a place called Antioch where he is, where he is going, to, um, he is going to, to recap his second missionary journey, places where he had gone and planted churches. And that is very important for us for one specific reason that we're going to dive into here in just a moment. But So here he is. He has arrived in Antioch, verse 23. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. If you're comfortable writing in your Bible, marking it up, and I hope you are, um, underline, highlight, asterisk, circle, strengthening all the disciples. That's important. All right. He says, now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. 
He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Though he knew only the baptism of John, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures uh, that the, the Christ was Jesus. All right, uh, I want us to, to look at three models of discipleship, all right? Three, and it really it's going to be a, a, a quick three-person or a three-group character study. First, I want us to look at, at this picture of Paul, right? That Paul was a picture, uh, had picture-perfect perseverance. I'm a Baptist. I like to alliterate. All right. So it's picture perfect. Amen. All right. Picture perfect perseverance. I will probably not say that again during the sermon. All right. Um, so Paul's third missionary journey begins. So he stops in Antioch and he begins to retrace his steps. Places he had gone and discipled, shared the gospel, discipled believers. And what happens is when, 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 when people uh, trust Jesus as Savior, what they do is naturally they will gravitate towards one another. All right, Peter did it in Acts chapter 2. He preaches the gospel. 3,000 men, countless women and children get saved. They all decide we're not going to go to our homes. We're going to sell all of our stuff and we're going to live in community. In the first church, was born. When God's people, when, when you become a Christian, you naturally begin to want to have an affinity for like-minded believers. So as Paul went organically, these churches would spring up. And so as Paul goes to Antioch, he begins to, to think about the places he had gone before, to Derba, to Lystra, to Iconium, to Pisidian Antioch. All these places where, where he had, had, had launched churches and he had a, a desire in church. This is a thing for us. He had a desire. It would have been so much easier with however many billions of people were on the planet in the first century. He could have said, you know what? They're saved. They're growing. They're doing the right things. So I'm just going to move on and I'm going to go to the next place and evangelize those people. But he decided that it was, it was critically important not to leave the new believers behind. And he comes back behind them. He goes and he visits. Paul wasn't just burdened for their conversions. He was concerned with their discipleship. Because remember, the more you're discipled, the more you desire to evangelize. Church, understand this about good discipleship. Good discipleship is not about adding souls to the kingdom. Sounds like heresy, I know. Okay, so let me explain. Good discipleship is not just about adding souls to the kingdom. It is not addition, additional in nature. It is multiplicative. If Patrick Martin, being one person, disciples five people, and those five people go out and disciple five people, that is now 26 people in your, your second generation of believers. Those 25 will go out and disciple five. Well, now you have over 150 that have come to know Jesus as Savior. Church, you can't do it all by yourself. You're not supposed to do it all by yourself. The whole, the whole purpose of ministry is that we do it together. Ness. There's no Lone Rangers in the Christian army. There's just not. 
And it was never meant to be that way. Paul's passion for people didn't begin or end with a single convert or the planning of a church. Now, did Paul get excited? Yes. And you see it all throughout ministry. What does Paul do? I mean, what are some things that Paul does? Paul could have quit. He could have quit when he was shipwrecked the first time. He could have quit when he was, when he was beaten and stoned. He could have quit when the people were coming after him and he had to be lowered out of the city wall in a basket. If anybody wanted to go find a beach to retire on, it should have been Paul. But Paul's passion for seeing the kingdom of God grow superseded his desire to look after himself. Paul showed perseverance. So while Paul was burdened with conversions, he was more uh, concerned, more burdened with discipleship because he understood, church, that it is the discipleship of God's people, the studying of God's word togetherness, the studying of, of the scriptures that will burden a church to be so on fire for the gospel that they will go out and they will do evangelism on their own. Let me tell you what should not have to happen in the local church. I shouldn't have to burden you to go share your faith. You live amongst people every day that are dying and going to hell. If you don't have the the passion to share the gospel... Knowing what you know, knowing that what lies within you is the key to death and to hell and the grave, and you don't have a desire to tell others about it, yelling at you from the pulpit is not going to get anything done. But when we study the scriptures together, when we are discipled to know and to love and to serve Jesus... There doesn't have to be a fire lit under you from the pulpit. It's already been lit under you in the scriptures. So now, everything that Paul dealt with, the guilt of holding the cloaks of the men that rolled stones over the top of Stephen, giving his assent to his martyrdom, all of the stuff that happened to Paul during his ministry, all that stuff became insignificant compared to the gospel of Jesus going out. Church, you want to get to the place to where y'all are doing the work that God wants you to do? May the things that happen to us in this world become insignificant. Understanding that there is not a thing in this world that can happen to us that A, a sovereign God doesn't allow and that he won't walk you through. Paul was a, had showed us picture-perfect perseverance. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Paul displays for us what, it mean, what his, his burden was, his passion was for the people, for the people of God. That's not the right passage. There is no 1 Corinthians 2, 19 through 20. So let me, let me, let me, uh, let me summarize it for you. And I will fix this. First, first Thessalonians, thank you. It says Thessalonians in my notes. I said Corinthians. Corinthians. 
You're the first service. You're really just my dry run for the second service. (laughs) So Paul writes, he says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? He said, is it not you? Are you not what we boast about? He says, for you are our glory and our joy. Church, may we get to the place where we are so burdened to see people grow in the depth of of God's grace that when we stand before God and he says, why should I let you into heaven? Jesus says, they are justified in my name. But we say, but Lord, we offer you the work that we've done. These, the people that we've discipled, they're our glory. They are our joy. They are what we take pride in. Not in how much biblical knowledge we have, but how much people have come to know and love and serve Jesus. Church, it's going to take patience. Because we're, we may be believers, but we're not perfect. We're going to mess up. But Paul rejoiced that that the churches that he planted were constantly growing. We see in Paul picture-perfect perseverance. But then in Aquila and Priscilla, we see two prodigiously protective people. Yeah, that's right. I got the thesaurus out for this sermon. So while Paul was traveling... He shared the gospel with a man from Alexandria whose name was Apollos, who was a fellow Jew. And so Paul leaves and Apollos arrives in, uh, in Ephesus. And he had, a, he had this, this impressive resume. He, 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 was, he was well-spoken. He was eloquent. He was an orator. But he wasn't perfect. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't where he needed to be. But he knew what he was doing. Look at, look at, uh, look at verses 24 and 26, through 26. So now this is a Jew named Apollos, a native of, Andrea, of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent and he was competent in the scriptures. Alexandria was, a, was an intellectual center. It had this vast library. And years before, the Alexandrian community actually produced a Greek translation of the, of the Old Testament. And the city was, was, uh, had become home to, to uh, philosophers uh, like Philo or Clement, uh, Athanasius, Origen. These are people that when we look at extra biblical uh, accounts of first century church history, these are some of the writers that we would listen to. And so Apollos was, was in the midst of all of this. He was a very eloquent man. And it says he was a, that, I mean, he appeared to be a Christian. Look at verse 25. It said he had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Holy Spirit was the, the, the match that energized his passion. Actually, if you, if you look in the, in the original Greek in verse 25, when it said that he was fervent in spirit, actually there's an article that the English uh, doesn't translate. Uh, it, actually, it says that he was fervent in the spirit. And that article makes a difference. We can be fervent in all kinds of spirits, can't we? But Apollos was fervent in the spirit, in the Holy Spirit. We also see this same exhortation in Romans chapter 12 and verse 11. 
Apollos was passionate, but he was also young in his faith. And so here he arrives and he begins to preach the gospel. It says that he was um, that that he only knew of the baptism of John. Now understand that that the there are some folks that believe that that uh, Apollos was not a believer because he only knew the baptism of John and he and, and was not acquainted with the baptism of Jesus being baptized into grace. We're not talking about the physical act of baptism. We're talking about about believing. What what had happened was that that Apollos had been well. Um, uh, educated in the ways of the of of uh, of John, but he had not been instructed in the coming of, of of grace and of the Holy Spirit. And so, as he began to teach, he began to speak boldly. Verse twenty six in the synagogue, it said. But when when Priscilla and Aquila had heard them, they took him aside to explain to him the way of God more accurately. Apollos was passionate, but he was also young in his faith. The night that I was baptized, I was 10 years old, and I was baptized in my church. They actually had to, to, to take a broom and remove the cobwebs from the baptistry in the little family-owned and operated church in Orange Park that, that, I, that we, I grew up in. I was the only person baptized there for years. Just proves that, that God can work in spite of some men's best efforts. And, and so I was baptized that night, and we had a, we had a big party at, at the house afterwards. And I'll never forget, I went back into the bedroom and to change clothes and to come out for the, with the party. And, and I was holding on to the Bible that I was given, and my mom had to listen to my first sermon. And I began, I began preaching. I don't even know what it was. I just began reading Scripture, and I began preaching it, and, and, and like I, was, I was super excited. I knew nothing other than what I had heard. But I, let me tell you something. That 10-year-old boy was passionate I was excited. I had no idea what I was talking about. And I can get up here in front of you. Uh, you could parade that same 10-year-old or even the 15-year-old that would later preach his first sermon in front of like real people that didn't give birth to him. And, and, and let me tell you, I was at 15, I was passionate. My first sermon was 40 minutes. Now that, that's a surprise to any of y'all. All right? I was passionate even at 15 and I still knew very little. You can parade someone up here who can put together a 40-minute oration of things about God and never say a word truly about the Spirit of God. So here's what Priscilla and Aquila do. Apollos was passionate, but they needed to take that passion and they needed to redirect it. And so verse 26, the the insinuation is, look, it said, they took him aside. That that phrase, they took him aside, means that they took him to their home. He walked down off the the podium, uh, off the stage, figuratively in, in the synagogue, and Priscilla and Aquila, who had been discipled by Paul, who knew, loved, and worshiped, and served Jesus, they took him aside, and it said they took him home. And they sat down and they taught him. This is why I think it's such a a great deal that y'all do life groups in homes. I think we've built a a construct. Look, I grew up in this construct. We have built a construct in the local church that the church exists here at this address. And when we leave... We will not be the church until we come back to this address on Thursday night for our night of worship. 
and then we'll leave and we will not be the church until we come back the following Sunday. Church, what happens is right now the church is gathered, but after we all get our fill of kebabs and other things, we're going to leave and the church will then be scattered into the world. We are still the church whether we're in the same room or not. And I love the life group model in homes because it is a picture of what the first century church looked like. And we need more life group leaders. We need more people who are willing to open their home to instruct those who are young in the faith because church, what good is it if God sends us a great harvest if we don't have disciple makers in place ready to disciple them when they show up? Priscilla and Aquila took them aside and they took Apollo's passion and they redirected it, taught, the, taught him the things that he was missing so that he might get back up and use the gifting that God's given him. Family, it is so important that we study God's word together. We don't have all the answers ourselves. In Ephesians chapter four, Paul says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ. Church, we are all gifted in different ways. When we come in together and we study God's word together, we make one another more well-rounded in the scriptures. Oh, they were prodigiously productive. But finally we see in Apollos, we have a passionately productive person. What I love is what you don't see in this passage. Look at verse 27. It says, and when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. You know what Aquila and Priscilla didn't do? They didn't quench Apollos' passion. They encouraged it, but they made him passionate about the right things. The Lord used Apollos' passion, watered it, with the word of God given to him by Aquila and Priscilla. And later we read in verse 28 that he would, that God would encourage an entire church because of Apollos' gifting. Apollos had a powerful ministry in Corinth. Look at verse 28. It says, For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. He explained that Messiah must suffer and die, but he wouldn't stay dead, that he would be resurrected. And because Apollos was previously a Jew, God used his knowledge of the Old Testament. It equipped him to be an apologist, someone who would take the gospel to the Jews that were in Corinth, that he would share the gospel with them. How do we know? Because in 1 Corinthians, got it this time, 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 12, I knew 1 Corinthians was in here somewhere. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 12, Paul mentions Apollo's great contribution to the growth of the church at Corinth. Church, can the same be said of you? Are you a disciple maker? Can I be real with you? Because I'm the interim. I can be real with you and you can't really fire me completely. <laughs> Nobody cares how much of the Bible you know. 
Nobody cares. You, there are some of you in the room that probably know more than I do. And I paid a lot of money to go to school so that I would be one of the more biblically learned people in the room. There are some of you who have just been studying the scriptures longer than I have. And you know more. Nobody cares how much I know. Nobody cares how much you know. All that matters is what you do with what you know. On the screen behind me, there's a picture. And I hope it's not so low res that we all look, hopefully we all look thinner. <laughs> no, not really. Um, this is a picture of my hunting group. Every year I do a hunting trip. Uh, the week after Thanksgiving, we're going to Texas. Uh, we're going to South Texas. And we're going to hunt together. It's Tony Bybee uh, on the left. My dad, Tim Martin. It's me, the big one. Uh, and, then, uh, and then Steve Wetherill is on the right. Super good friends. We have a couple other guys that we love that are going with us too. Um, this was on a turkey hunting trip in Nebraska back in 2021. Um, but every year we go together. And every year, you, you know, you know how, how hard, it, like, like how tempting it is or how, how difficult it is, like the pressure to, to, to shoot an animal and, and not miss? I don't care that, that I would miss the animal. I care that I have to go back to, to camp because they will all have heard me shoot. And I have to tell them that I would have missed. So you know what I do when we go? I was going to bring my rifle as a, uh, as, a, um, as, as a prop today. <laughs> Safety, t- yeah, it was good decision making is what it was. I figured a picture would, would be much less likely to get me shot. Um, safety team would have been all over it. Um, you know, something about this group, we, we don't just travel together and, and hunt. We do that every year and I love them. They're brothers. Um, all brothers in Christ, they're great guys. Uh, but during the year, all throughout the year, we spend time, we go to the range together. And we go shoot, we shoot long distances, we shoot, um, and we shoot to make sure our guns are, are on. Uh, we, shoot, we shoot to make sure that, because what happens is you, you don't, you don't want to just get into the situation where a deer is going to walk out or I'm, I'm going to text try to kill an axis buck this year. Uh, you don't just want to, want to wait until that moment when the animal walks out in front of you. So you put, you know, you spend your time, you put the crosshairs on them, you go through your motions. There's like a whole breathing exercise that I do to slow my heart rate because my heart's, right? You know, like I'm, as I have buck fever. What good is it? If I go through that whole rigmarole, pay all that money to go to Texas, to buy the license, to travel out there, take a week out of my life, if I haven't checked to see if my gun is, is, is on, check to see if the scope is accurate. So we go to the range and we make sure that if our, if our guns are on, if we miss, then that's on us. The church is much the same way. What good is it if we have passion to share the gospel, but the accuracy of our doctrine is not accurate? What good is it? We spend all the time on programming, getting food trucks, doing summer jam, working with ministries. What good is it if we have all of this passion to do ministry, but the gospel that we share is not accurate because we haven't taken the time to study it. Church, let's study the scriptures together so that we might hit the mark that God has given us in the inspired and errant 66, word, or 66 books of the word of God. Let's spend whatever it costs, take whatever time that it takes, 
that we would study God's word together, that we might allay some of the questions we have about God, maybe even realize that some of our questions about God don't matter in light of his glory and of his grace. You may be sitting here today and and you say, Patrick, I've never trusted Jesus as Savior. I don't know what, what that's like. Maybe you need to ask a different question. How do I be saved today? I'm going to pray in just a moment. After I pray, Matt's going to be standing back in the, the next steps area, just right in the back of the worship center. Going to have some people that want to talk with you, that want to answer some, any questions that you might have. We want to be a church that teaches you the whole counsel of God's word. But it starts with you understanding that you cannot get to God on your own, that it took Jesus coming to this earth, dying a death that belonged to you for the sin debt that you couldn't pay that you might be rightly restored to him. However, the Lord's leading you today. Would you be faithful to respond? In just a moment, as I pray to close this out. Father, we love you and we honor you and we thank you. God, we thank you that we're not perfect. That even though the sin occurred in the garden, that it sullied our opportunity to spend eternity with you, that you offered your son Jesus as our substitute. God, I thank you for the life of Apollos. I thank you that you gave him a passion for the gospel. But God, I thank you for Aquila and Priscilla who were discipled by Paul to be ready for that moment to share the gospel, to to share the complete gospel with Apollos that his passion might be put in the right place. Father, may Fort Caroline Baptist Church, may we be a church that you can use that teaches the correct, true, adequate gospel That it wouldn't be about us or about our good works, but it would be about you and your grace and your holiness and your love for us. Father, as we leave this place today, go to our life groups here on campus as we prepare to go serve in other places in our church. Father, may you take what's happening on this campus and may may you multiply it. Not just add converts, Father. We want to be disciple makers that multiply the kingdom of God. Father, take the seeds that we plant and water them that we might produce fruit, but fruit that is pleasing to you. Father, be with us now as we leave. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.